one day a week maybe. That's your sex day as you're getting back into it. And that day, you can put extra effort into feeling sexy, feeling present, telling yourself, you know what, today I can let these things go. You'll hear from women, leaders, and mothers We're holding hands as we move through life's greatest transitions. Join us for The Rising. Welcome back to The Rising Podcast. Today I have Chelsea Skaggs and we have a really fun conversation. So Chelsea is a postpartum coach. She works with women after they've given birth and she helps women to kick the pressure to be Pinterest perfect. She is amazingly funny on Instagram. I will link her Instagram because you just have to hear her stories and see just her daily. It's it's all so, so funny. But we talked today about some things that she has learned in 32 years of being alive, what she sees coming up for women in her postpartum together group. So those common problems that women are coming up against after they've had a baby. We're going to dive into sex and intimacy and vulnerable communication, especially in the postpartum phase. Now, when I was looking for postpartum resources and people to link up with, Chelsea was one of the very few that I could even find. So she has created really powerful movement in this space. She's one of the first people to do it and to talk about the really hard parts of postpartum. So if you are in this season or you're going to be in this season soon, you are absolutely going to love this conversation with Chelsea. So happy belated birthday. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Your your Instagram stories were so fun. My husband was finally like, okay, you need to hang out with me and stop hanging out with them. No, no, they're just about to go to the next room. Okay, tell everyone while we're recording, tell everyone what you did for your 32nd birthday. (laughs) Well, because we are, you know, in the world of social distancing quarantine, um, we had a pub crawl in our home. four rooms of our home. So we made a different drink in each room. And earlier that day, I had asked people to ask us questions that we could answer together. So we went to each room, enjoyed our drink and um, answered the questions together on Instagram. And it was seriously the most fun we've had in a really long time. It was really cute. You're like huddled with the stuffed animals (laughs) as your little posse. (laughs) a puppet show to act out some of our (laughs) disagreement moments. (laughs) That's very therapeutic. It was good. We just (laughs) said, we said, you know, from now on, if we start to get into an argument, we should make ourselves go to the puppet show and (laughs) only be allowed to argue that way. (laughs) Through voices as well. He's like, Chelsea, focus. We'll see if it holds up. Oh, that's a good tactic. I love that. Well, I got your email about all the things you've learned, the 32 things you've learned. So I actually want to ask you about a couple of those because I was so intrigued. I was like, I need more information. Yeah. Okay. So, well, first of all, is it possible for people to see this if they sign up 
for your email list or is this a one and done gone forever? Cause it was such a good list. Yeah. It's not one and done. People could definitely. So when they sign up for my email list, I have in one of the welcome emails, a chance to reply and people could always reply and say, Hey, I need the 32 list. Yeah. And it's easy to shoot it back out to them. Perfect. Okay. Because I'm going to reference it here. <laughs> All right. So number 15. <laughs> hey, what was it? Just because no one else is doing it doesn't mean it can't be done. Yeah. So I want to know how that's played out in your life or how that lesson came to you. Yeah. So that is definitely one of the biggest things I've learned in my business right now is, you know, I've always wanted to do things right. I wanted them to work. I love being an achiever. And so trying something without like a foolproof method is scary and for myself, when I started my business, it was basically because I could not find anything that fit what I was looking for for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I set out to create it. And that was very scary for me, but it has also been really cool to see that something doesn't have to exist in the world the way that it could. And you can put your hands and energy and heart into bringing it to fruition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I, well, I, I, I think I found you when I started working with women postpartum, mm -hmm. but when I typed in just the word postpartum, like on Instagram, you were the only person that came up and I was like, okay. Or <laughs> I'll say this, you were the only one that came up that was, that was using postpartum correctly mm -hmm. as a term. So yeah. tell us about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the use of the word, first of all, let's get it straight. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that I say over and over is that postpartum is a season. It's not a diagnosis and it's not a brokenness. So when we look at postpartum, I still struggle with this in, you know, using Google and Pinterest and all of these search engines is that either people are calling postpartum depression postpartum and saying, I have postpartum which is not accurate. You have postpartum depression. That's fine. We love you. We support you. But every woman after baby is postpartum. Mm -hmm. And you know, the other things we see are all these ways we need to fix ourselves, whether, you know, body and all of these things that postpartum is used almost as a target of, oh, well, you are different in this way and here's how to fix it and make it back to normal. When instead it's really a season and a journey. Yeah. And I, I'm going to jump around here because I've like just pretty much been binging everything you've been doing for the last couple <laughs> months. Um, but you mentioned that about um, you were working on something for postpartum sex as well. And that you're like ads and anything you were putting out there was getting flagged as inappropriate. <laughs> Do you think it was getting flagged for postpartum or for sex or for I both? Think, they were like, this yeah. is, is naughty all around. <laughs> right. We don't talk about this stuff, Chelsea. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> so right now, one of my biggest struggles is finding words for sex that are appropriate and don't bring up you know, like very distasteful yeah. <laughs> images and things <laughs> like that. Um, but, you know, also when it comes to postpartum, we're still really limited in what people are even knowing to search for or think about or, you know, advocate for themselves. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, that's what I was thinking, I think, right after my first baby when 
I, I was thinking like, I want to start moving my body, mm-hmm. but I didn't, right. I didn't want those exercise routines. I didn't want the bouncing back. I've, I mean, frankly, I just wanted to know how to get off the couch without pain. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, I thought like, you know, when you put in Google, like this really long sentence, you're like, please read my mind. I want something that's gentle on my body. I just had a baby. Also, please consider hemorrhoids and search. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> and then, yeah, you, you put in a couple words and you get some really odd things. You're like, no, 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 that's not what I wanted. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I definitely had some like, oh no, like I swear to my husband, that's not what I was trying to find. (laughs) History is just full of like mistakes. Right. Yeah. I've totally convinced myself I will never be able to run for president or any political office because my search history is off the charts. Yeah. That's so good. Um, okay, I'm going to go to another one from your list was you have more options than what is before you. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that one. <laughs> yeah. So I, when I wrote that, I was thinking a lot about, um, the birthing moms that I talked to. So I'm thinking about it in the birth space, although it applies to so many things, but we're usually given kind of preferred options, probably from our provider. And then what I found is that we also have kind of the other side. So if we're just talking about birth and parenting, you know, we have like our provider recommendations and we have our crunchy friend over here with all of her alternatives and both of them are great, but sometimes we feel stuck like, well, am I this mom or am I this mom? But I'm actually in the middle making my way and asking questions to figure out that there are usually third, fourth, and fifth options. And you know, that applies to so many things, but I think as women, as birthing women and new moms, we often don't feel the freedom to ask questions Mm -hmm. and we have to, in order to find those other options. Yeah. I like that. I started, I don't know who told me this before I had my second baby, but they said if, if there were like no parameters or no expectations or norms, what would your perfect birth look like? And now I apply that to basically everything I do. So it's like, even in quarantine, I'm like, if there were no people judging what this looked like, which there aren't, because nobody's here, <laughs> right? right? Do what we want. Perfect. Yeah, you kind of, and that's kind of what every, not everyone, but people that have the privilege of just being home as an entire family, you have the opportunity to say, if, if no one else has input here, what would my perfect scenario be? Mm-hmm. And I do, I like that. I feel the same way. It's like some of my ideas are very alternative or holistic, like extreme. And then you would think like, oh, certainly they don't eat hamburgers. I'm like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, we eat hamburgers. <laughs> but also we use oils to uh-huh. heal our children. So I don't know. <laughs> like Yeah, we just when I first got into the blogging, well, I first started exploring blogging, mm-hmm. my first domain, I think it was a domain I bought, was like the kind of crunchy mom. Because <laughs> I felt so out of place <laughs> in so many spaces because I didn't fit yeah. the boxes I thought I needed to or Yeah, that's true. When I'm going to go back to this, like having options, where do you see, because you work with a lot of women through your postpartum Mm -hmm. together group. So they've gone through the birthing process. 
And where do you see kind of the biggest hurdle or mental block in asking more questions? Because I, I think a lot of women, I mean, me included, it's just like, well, that seemed like the best option or that seemed like what they were offering. So yeah, where do you, where do you see that block where we don't want to ask for what I, we want? Yeah, yeah. I think that one of the main ones is that as women, we tend to feel inferior. Um, so we see this like clinically, medically, birth, postpartum, our pelvic floor hurts, but no one's bringing it up. So why would we bring it up? Like we're probably just dumb or we're probably just messing something up or this is just what every woman goes through. Like, why would we complain and whine about it? So I think we tend to put ourselves in that space sometimes when it comes to anyone who has other credentials or um, we feel inferior in the first place. I think we're, we're raised to often not advocate for ourselves. And so we see that play out in the birthing space and then add into that the fact that no one is really talking about, you know, specifically postpartum, how do we even know what we don't know? And that's a huge gap that I see. Like women know there's a problem, but they don't know what it is that they don't know. So they don't know where and who to even start asking. Right. Or what to Google. Yeah. Or what to Google. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I wondered in the women's groups that you work with, do you find that most of them are second and on time mothers or are there a lot of first time moms? It's, it has been a pretty even split every time between first and second time moms. Cause I work with, um, mostly, so my one-to-one -one clients in person, I do yoga, prenatal, postnatal. All of the first time moms do prenatal. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Don't do postnatal. Mm -hmm. And then the second time moms have probably a toddler, so they don't do prenatal, but they do postnatal because they know now how important that is. And I was like, where do I bridge the gap for both of them? <laughs> like we need childcare for the second time moms, but then we need information, like you said, to mm -hmm. just know kind of what's coming. So what do you think? This is like my big question, actually. So if you can solve this for me, it'd be lovely. Okay, I hope. <laughs> How can we give enough information to first-time moms so that we don't all have to go through postpartum hell the first time mm -hmm. to be able to ask yeah. for, receive support the second time? Right. And <laughs> how do we set that up in a way that it's welcomed because... Most of us as first time pregnant women kind of live in this cloud, you know, maybe you're dealing with sickness or whatnot, and that can be a part of it. But for a lot of us, it's kind of this blissful cloud and then birth will come and it'll hurt a little bit and then we'll have a baby and keep going as normal. So how do we interfere with someone's cloud without just totally raining on their parade yeah. I think is, is another issue that comes up and comes up in my groups too. Um, but I think there are so many opportunities that we have to enter some of these things. So, you know, I, I wrote down a couple examples I was thinking about earlier today. And I think part of this comes down to like the generational gap too, but you know, instead of saying like, oh, just get ready. You're never going to sleep again. 
Yeah. This would be a great time to say something like, hey, have you made a plan for how you and your partner are going to, you know, split up duties after baby? Because that's what you're going to need to sleep. Like, I think we have so many opportunities where we interject these phrases that aren't helpful. And we could really instead give kind of that problem solution together Mm -hmm. by helping women to say, oh man, like sleep is going to be a challenge. Mm -hmm. You could talk about that now, or you could, you know, look, look at these different resources or ideas. Um, And again, that's just, it's the conversation and going into it with women is harder than just using those placeholder phrases that we so often hear. Yeah. And like you said, generation, generationally, I think that all of those things that come out about, um, I hear it a lot with in the grocery store. I don't know why it's like people see you, you have your kids and they feel like they have to make a comment. So they're just like, what's it going to be? And I'm always nervous. And like, they're looking at me, are they going to compliment my kids clothes? Or are they going to yeah, tell me like, well, just wait till the other one's walking or, oh, I wish my kids were that young. Now they're in college and they hate me. And I'm like, that's a lot of information passing you in aisle five. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, I mean, that kind of stuff is just so packed with their experience too, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I heard a lot about how when your baby starts walking, it's going to be so much harder. And I felt like as soon as my son was on his feet, everything was fun. Hmm. Like to me, it was so hard to carry him around and the crawling and the Hmm. just everything's dirty and everything was hard. Hmm. (laughs) So I was like, oh, okay, that was them. And I think that's a thing too. Like everything you hear is not gospel. Right. So being able to just take that blank slate for yourself and say, how can I prepare for this rather than react to it. Right. And I think right now we're seeing such a growth in women sharing their stories. Mm -hmm. And that is the biggest thing that I hear is I read someone else's story or someone else wrote about this or talked about this. And that is what brought it up for me. You know, so there's a lot of room to have more open conversations, which were you know, always working to do. Yeah. And have you, I noticed, I don't know if you had any, um, health or mental health Mm -hmm. issue after your babies, but I noticed that with my first, I didn't feel good. Like definitely didn't feel good, but it wasn't until he was like about a year old. And then I looked back and I thought, wow, I feel better. And then I started like rereading my journals. I was like, oh, very depressed, very anxious, very, but at the time, yeah, I was like, well, I guess this just is really sucky for a while. Mm -hmm. And I guess people just hide in their houses and (laughs) Mm -hmm. don't bring it up to other people. And Mm -hmm. yeah, now I'm like, okay, everyone I talk to has, and not that it's always depression, but it's always a story of like, yeah, I didn't realize almost how bad it was until it got better. Mm -hmm. So you're out of that fog. Right. Yes. And then I think we have such an opportunity to either kind of repress and move on Mm -hmm. or to sit with that and give ourselves that space to heal the things that 
we didn't get to heal in the fog, which naturally, like when you're in that survival mode, a lot of things are happening and you're not going to process all of those things out. You're not going to make peace in your mind and your body with all of those changes right away. But then we have the opportunity to revisit and process and find those spaces to talk through it. Yeah. And that's the first step when I work with women doing yoga. So we do yoga poses because that's what people like, but what they really need and end up, you know, loving is the mental clarity that comes from it. So we move our body, we learn to trust our body, respect our body, all of that. And I find that the women who work on telling their birth story, talking through any traumas that happened, they find the most healing in their physical body too. Like, of course, it's all connected, but you can tell when that switch happens or when suddenly a woman's saying like, my, my joints are feeling better. And then she'll say, well, and I've actually been, you know, I started therapy. And I'm like, that's not a coincidence at all. That makes complete sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we carry it, we carry it in our bodies. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? I know you don't like the term bouncing back because like nobody does. Um, but what do you think as far as women healing from birth? Because there is a physical healing that has to happen, right? There's some, some damage that happens. Um, but what do you see as like the first or maybe first couple steps to take postpartum, whether it's mental, physical, what do you think comes first? Well, I think those early weeks are really important as far as the rest. And, you know, right now this isn't so much of an issue, but I often hear women when we're not (laughs) social distancing, talking about hosting people and having guests right away and then feeling like they don't have time with their baby and their partner and they are just the one taking care of yet more people. And so I think it's so important to set those boundaries before having baby, but if if not after, Mm -hmm. and know that it's okay to slow down. I think we struggle with um, rating ourselves by productivity and we're in a culture that doesn't honor the postpartum body and mom like a lot of other cultures do. Mm-hmm. So it's almost rebellious to take that time for yourself and your family and your baby in that slow bonding. But it, I think that makes a huge difference. That early rest makes a huge difference on the long-term mental health, mm-hmm. the early conversations, the early bonding, being together. I mean, it, again, that's, that's the first step to healing your body and your mind and the family unit that has changed. But we have to protect that for ourselves most of the time in the U.S. because it's not protected for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, okay, let's talk. I'm going to, I'm going to hard left here. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're kind of all of a sudden being known as like the queen of postpartum sex, as we mentioned. <laughs> what does your husband think about that? Is he so... I don't think he minds. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I married someone who 
is very even-minded and celebrates my success. I definitely have past boyfriends that I think like, oh, this would not have gone well if yeah. this happened in that space. But yeah, it's so good. <laughs> so in that sense, and not not even just sex, I think of like the intimacy with your partner after you have a baby. What what do you see as like the crucial communication that we could be having before we're bringing in a new person to the world. What, mm-hmm. what can we talk about to prepare for that relationship to change? Yeah. I think the first thing that's so important is knowing your partner's communication style. Mm-hmm. And I give this example all the time. I am an external processor. I say 100 things and then I mean maybe 10 of them. My husband is an internal processor. Mm-hmm. He will sit and think and deliberate and then say 10 things he really means. Mm-hmm. And so we, we addressed that at the start of our marriage. We noticed that. But then when we added a baby to the mix, we had heightened stress. We were making decisions for another human, like things we had never done before. And that really came into play again mm-hmm. when we were both again in those heightened states, emotionally fragile. And so I think it's important for couples beforehand to talk about how they communicate specifically under stress and how to receive that. Um, My husband and I have tried and don't always do it perfectly, but we really tried to give the other person space to voice their intention. So if if something is said and I'm offended mm-hmm. when we're operating well, I will say that made me feel like this. Is that what your intention was behind that? Is this Brene Brown? Oh, I, I might've been inspired by that. I'm sure I was inspired by her. It sounds familiar. I'm like, I think she said something about that. Like, did okay. you mean this? Mm-hmm. And then, okay. Keep going. Yeah, I I listen to a ton of her stuff, so I'm sure that's like part of my brain operation. Um, But that has been really good because the other thing that I would say is having that communication with your partner about how easy resentment is and what resentment looks like for you. Um, You've got to come to terms with what that looks like and be able to communicate that to your partner. So for me, I just, you know, resentment makes me agitated and I'll do the dishes loudly or I'll sigh extra. And my husband, resentment looks like withdrawing and not engaging me. And so knowing what that is beforehand, we can continue to revisit that. It's not a one and done conversation, but having it beforehand sets the stage and you can continue to revisit it. The scariest thing for me is when couples don't have that safe communication because they haven't practiced it and then they need it after baby. And it's the hardest time with no sleep and again, making high stress decisions and having input from a hundred directions. So it is so important to have that communication skill and know how to receive one another's communication, especially in those high stress times. Yeah. I like that you brought up resentment too, because I think that's an emotion that we don't always recognize as resentment or it's important to have the language, right? So if you just 
keep thinking like, I'm just angry. Why am I so angry? Like I have this rage building up and it does, it comes out. And like you said, that resentment looks a lot different as well. I'm realizing that you are my husband and I am your husband in that way where I'm the same. I'm just like, please just put me in my car alone because I don't even want to look you in the face for whatever it is. (laughs) And that like knowing that when a baby is brought into the mix as well, it's going to put that magnifying glass over your partnership. So all of those little things, because when it's just the two of you, right? So especially before first baby, it's like, it's really fun. And you can almost just like skate over anything that doesn't go well. You're like, "Eh, I can let that go. And then, yeah, but I mean, it's bringing the baby in is like routine has to become Mm-hmm. a thing which we were very like type b just go with the flow and so even even having that conversation mm-hmm. i mean as as you'll know as we talk we did nothing to prepare for our first baby and every single thing to prepare for the second mm-hmm. it's a pretty common thing i'm hearing yep yeah okay so then that's with communication. So then you mentioned to me when we talked last time about that resentment kind of coming into play with sex and intimacy, especially for women. Mm-hmm. So yeah. about that. Yeah. So I see this as multidimensional here. One, when we're feeling resentment, our emotional cup is not filled we are feeling that lack and we're not feeling connected to our partners. Mm-hmm. Mentally, I'm going to say resentment is typically around either caring for the home or caring for the child. Those are two main areas. So if I'm feeling resentful, like I've kept up the house all day and my partner didn't do his share, mm-hmm. I don't want to get in bed and like get <laughs> with him, but I want him to go do the damn dishes. Like the things that I want and desire are different. Yeah. And yeah, so if we're not emotionally fulfilled, then we're not feeling intimate. We're not feeling close. We're not wanting our bodies to be close to someone else. Mm-hmm. Mentally, how do you get into the zone if all day, you know, you're, you're either carrying to-do lists or you're carrying resentment? Like these things add up. And for a woman getting into the mood takes a little time. It takes a little mental space. And so getting there really does depend on having that communication and that partnership and not feeling resentful towards your partner. Yeah. So what do you do if, because this has happened to me, like, especially when so there's like the six week, you know, doctor says, okay, you're good to go. I, I always thought that was just, just crazy talk. I was like, no, 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 we're not. But when you do get to the point, whenever that is for everyone is very different. But when you get to that point, I always, I would like wake up every morning. I was like, we're doing it tonight. This is happening. It's going to happen for the first time after the baby. It's going to be amazing. And it, it was like, as the day went on, little things, you know, or I'd feel like, okay, I've just been nursing all day. Yeah, you're touched out. Yeah, just so all these things are happening. <clears throat> and then that resentment is building with all the little things. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel that you either overcome those feelings in the moment or 
take a pause at the end of the day before you kind of come back together and say like, okay, those were feelings, not facts. <laughs> How do you make that switch? Yeah. Well, my first initial thought is do it in the morning. <laughs> I think we that's true. <laughs> often feel like sex is a nighttime thing, but <laughs> if we're feeling fresh in the morning, it's probably a good time to try it. So I yeah. do, I encourage moms, like change it up and see if that is better for your relationship to do it a different time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then it is it's so hard to overcome the touch out and the thoughts and the mental space. So I recommend when people are just getting back into it, thinking about scheduling it. So instead of every single day trying to be in the right mental space and trying to feel sexy and trying to feel like your boobs haven't just been like laying out all day, you have one day a week maybe. That's your sex day as you're getting back into it. And that day you can put extra effort into feeling sexy, feeling present telling yourself, you know what, today I can let these things go. Today yeah. I can let the dishes go. But you can't do that every single day. Right. So sometimes it takes a little more creativity and structure perhaps to get back into that space where you're connecting again. Because the longer you go, then the more awkward it can be. And the more resentment that builds, the less likely you want to get into it. So it's okay to do things a little bit differently so that you remember, oh yeah, I like this. Mm -hmm. This is good for us and it can work. So again, sometimes we can't control our brain drain and our body wear out all the time, but if you could do that once a week, then that could be a great place to start for you and your partner. Yeah, and I like that because like we said about with women, it being more of an emotional thing, having that anticipation to like, knowing that day like oh right when he gets home from work or for us I like that you said morning because we were like you know what it's just it's nap time like take a long lunch yes. work, work later I don't know <laughs> yes yeah I, I I just realized like okay by the end of the day I barely want to sit next to you barely <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and I think that if you if you were to schedule it, that also plays into your partner. Like, mm -hmm. hey, I don't want to nag you every day about the dishes, but like, if you're going to get some today, it's going to be because you found a creative way to get the dishes done. Or, yeah. you know, these are the things that fill my cup and I really mm -hmm. want to spend this time. Not that it's like a, you know, holding it ransom, but it's teaching each other, this is what fills my cup. This mm -hmm. is what's good. And we might not be able to do this every day, but if we can do this one day a week this month, then maybe we can do it two days a week next month. Or, you know, I don't want to get too advantageous here. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you do. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a good example too of, it's like, what would this look like if there were no expectations from other people? Because, and, and wherever they come from, I think that most people, most couples lie about how much sex they're having. One, probably one way or the other. It's like, oh, we're nev we never are. And th that same amount of times, a different couple is saying, like, we do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so instead of thinking, like, okay, it's six weeks postpartum, 
you know, every day that goes by, that's like time's ticking, we should really get back in there mm -hmm. or feeling like everybody else is having so much more sex than you. It's, it's, yeah, being able to honestly say like, okay, first of all, do you feel ready to have sex? Mm -hmm. And how often would be fulfilling for you? Mm -hmm. And there's so many, I think like sex is, I, I almost think of it when you're like, in high school as like the bases it's yeah. like every, you know you're always thinking of like okay when are we gonna do it when you haven't even like taken 10 seconds to hug each other yet right. or yeah. like look yeah. in each other's eyes for a couple minutes and say good morning <laughs> it's like you're trying to go from that hustle and like all attention on baby to like a full session <laughs> so right. yeah and that intimacy looks different and it's okay to have to rediscover and reconfigure what that looks like for you because like we mentioned earlier your body has changed your hormones have changed if you're breastfeeding like the experience of what your body is that is different and so I think a lot of times people feel like they've got to get right back into whatever that looked and felt in that experience was before but things have changed and it takes a level of vulnerability to be with your partner and to explore different things or to say that doesn't feel good anymore. That doesn't work for me anymore. That really does require vulnerability that some couples might have in that season and some couples might have to work a little harder to be okay with that level of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Do you see with yourself or with other women that you talk to that the fact that their body has changed, does that play into it a lot? Yeah. I hear very often about body image and just feeling like you're, they're not sexy or desirable anymore plays into a woman's ability to even see herself sexually or to present. That sounds like I'm like in the 1800s, present <laughs> herself to her husband. <laughs> Lift up her skirt, show her ankles. Yeah, <laughs> right. But it does. And, and that, going back to that, like, bounce back movement narrative, mm -hmm. I am a huge fan of activity. Like, I am my best when I move my body, when I sometimes push it harder or sometimes, you know, stretch and relax through yoga, I think those things are all so valuable. But I also think they've created in women this, this reduced understanding of their whole experience. And it causes a lot of women to feel like they cannot be desirable mm -hmm. until they look the same way they did before. Mm -hmm. Instead of truly understanding that their body went through a lot to birth a human and it is actually okay and sacred and beautiful for that to be different. But yet again, that requires a level of vulnerability mm -hmm. with our partners to, to talk about that and to have a conversation about our bodies. So I think a lot of women tend to turn more towards feeling insecure in them. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting, some of those same women who say that, that that body insecurity prevents them from being interested in sex, 
if I were to ask their husbands, and sometimes I have within my groups, those men are not feeling the same way about their their partner's body as the partner is. And that can be really eye-opening. And yet again, I think we struggle in our partnership often to have those kinds of conversations because it almost seems like backtracking. Yeah. Not. That's yeah, that's true. And it does a lot of times you can jump in if you're dating or get married again, if it's just the two of you, it's like, if Mm -hmm. it's coming naturally, you may have never had to talk about sex at all. So you're just doing it and it's working fine and everyone's happy. And yeah. So even just being able to, I mean, I remember this was before we had children, but I remember the first time we both like knew that there was always just this part of like when we were intimate that was just always kind of off but we're like yeah you know we're not going to bring it up and then that one time we had the conversation I was like this is harder than like saying I love you and this is harder than a breakup and harder than you know saying yes to a proposal I don't know it's just like so intense yes it is because you think I mean it of course is such a vulnerable time and I think as women I mean if we're feeling a certain way about our body it's like you almost, not that you assume that your partner's feeling that way too, but you like don't want to ask because if you don't get the validation that you like really, really are seeking, that almost feels worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. Let it go. Sex is a huge opportunity for rejection for both parties. So that again, you're really opening yourself up into a vulnerable space. Yeah. So for any partners because you do you talk to the husbands within your groups right mm-hmm. or I think you had is it yeah, like you have one week that's the yeah but we bring them in yeah that's so awesome <clears throat> excuse me so for couples that you found that are really successful in just their partnership after a baby what are kind of some things that you've noticed mm-hmm. is like their secret sauce <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I I don't want to like be a dead horse, but it is communication so so much. It's figuring out how do they want to divvy up the house tasks instead of being you know that like oh why do you never <laughs> or I just wish you would which you know I've done that too, but as much. The more preemptive couples have been in these communication Mm -hmm. um, areas, the more I've seen them operate well together. So that is balancing work schedules, knowing who's doing, you know, who's in charge of the the child when. So Mm -hmm. we find in our house, even that there are times when it overlaps, like maybe in the mornings we have overlap time and it can be nice to all be together, but we really just need to know like, Who's in charge? Like, am I going to get a shower and get ready and close the door while you do breakfast? Like, Mm. who is the dominant parent right now? And we switch back and forth. And I tell my groups, you know, that in order to get to that intimate level and in order for that partnership to really thrive, you also have to be able to get kind of the business logistics down too. So sometimes 
people have been like, do I really have to get that nitty gritty about it? But I've seen a lot of couples have success by whether it's sharing a to-do list or having an ongoing Google doc where they know these are three topics we've been meaning to talk about, but we haven't got the chance to. So we can type back and forth in the meantime and know that we can pull that up when we have a chance to talk. Like taking some of those steps that almost seem ridiculous and like we shouldn't need them, but actually give us tools and give us space and take out some of the hard work of operating as a partnership. You know, I think we kind of have these foundational levels of being parents together and the intimacy only comes on the building blocks of logistics and partnership and taking care of the home and the kids and the schedule. So yeah, communication, I can't say that enough. Yeah. Well, it comes across, this is how I saw it transitioning into parenthood that having those talks about like who's in charge of the children, who's going to do this chore and this chore, it comes across like so just not sexy. And you're like, I don't want to plan these things. That is so lame. I want to be the fun couple. I want spontaneity. (laughs) And then you start to realize like you don't have time to be spontaneous unless Mm -hmm. all of those things are in their place. And that does open up so much brain space and so much freedom and it has like taught us because we we've done the same thing. We finally were like, okay, do I, yeah, need to ask you to use the bathroom or you got this? And it was kind of, I just kind of hated asking to use the bathroom or being like, I'm going to go pee. Is that cool? Like, are we, are we good? <laughs> um, where was I going with that? Oh yeah. I think just the, um, getting everything in order opens you up to being able to have more fun. Right. Yeah. Things in place. The rest is a free for all. Yes. Yeah. And it's building the trust too, because I think in the beginning, you know, many moms might feel like they always are the go-to parent. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that because dads aren't stepping up. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, dads or the partner saying like, I don't, I don't know where I belong here. And I mean, I was always like, it just seemed faster to do it myself or like, I know I can lull the baby quicker than you can. So let me just take her. Okay. And then he never has a chance. Like that's not helping me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. That is probably one of the number one things that come up in our group is that balance of letting go of control. Like we expect our partners to be partners, but we can't expect them to be our partners and do it the exact same way we would do it at the exact same time. So if we actually want that give and take, we've got to give on some of our control and give our partners that opportunity to develop themselves as parents because most of the time they do want to be present and active and have those special things for themselves but we have to give them that opportunity or else we can't be mad that we're doing it all yeah this is so true that's a sobering reality for me (laughs) i know well it's 
like I know that that's the case in like childcare. You know, you think of it as like people that you don't know. You're like, okay, well, as long as the kids are safe and having a good time. And yeah, I never thought I would be as nitpicky with my husband Mm -hmm. as I was in the beginning. Like I would hear a faint cry in the other room and I like could not help myself. I was like, it's it's her bottle. She wants her bottle. This is so (laughs) obvious. It's a very specific cry. How do you not know? But then we forget, like we're all, you know, starting as beginners. And I do think that all of the, the biological things happening with the birthing mother are giving her a little leg up on the connection and the intuition to solve all the problems and so you have to have to let dad or whoever it is navigate on their own too yep yeah so you have a lot going on I want you to like just drop it all for us (laughs) yes we kind of dabbled in everything covered. so I'm just I'm working on all things postpartum but more so the taboo because you know I could find 15 workouts for weight loss after I had my baby or I could find even like what kind of medication I could take for anxiety and those things I'm glad that a lot of these things exist but there are still so many areas that are untouched and so I run groups is my biggest um, love and my biggest avenue of really connecting with groups. So every other month I host a small group um, of between five and 10 women and we work through a 10 week curriculum that does a lot of the things we talked about. It goes through processing some of the things that might've happened in the early fog. So I usually work with women once they're out of the fourth trimester, they're at least three months postpartum. And in that time we can process through that we can still be in a space of really establishing communication with your partner routines uncovering what that resentment really is that we're feeling and caring and having tension for days and weeks but finding the tools to identify those so that we're not just living there and staying there and creating these habits forever but being more educated on the postpartum experience being connected with other women who have come to this group because they say, I'm willing to do the messy with you. I'm willing to show up authentically. I'm not going to bombard you with all the ways that I'm a perfect mom. Like I really intentionally create this to be a safe space for women to be messy in motherhood. So that is postpartum together, small groups. They happen again every other month. Um, They are intimate, they are intentional. They walk women through this understanding of postpartum and processing and building the tools to be more empowered. Mm -hmm. Um, And to kind of support that, I also do one-on-one consultations with women who maybe just have an issue or two surrounding postpartum that they want to talk through and get some of those immediate tools and resources for. Um, And then I'm working on the course for postpartum sex. So that should be ready in June. And that is walking people through some of these stumbling blocks we have, um, things from body image to resentment, communication, our emotional needs, and then helping women to 
first identify those and then identify the things that they need to work through themselves, things they need to work through with their partners and, you know, some action steps on moving forward with intimacy. Amazing. It's all so good. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think is like, when does postpartum end? I say it never does, but. Yeah. So I kind of have two answers. <laughs> I kind of have two answers. Like, I think around a year to a year and a half, there's this coming out of it. Um, you know, a lot of your body changes aren't happening anymore. Your hormones are starting to regulate a lot more around a year. Your baby's starting to walk or, you know, it's a common time for babies to take in more food. So there's a lot of that early stage postpartum stuff that's not happening around a year to a year and a half. So I feel like that's just a, a monumental time. Um, but then also forever, right? Like we are forever changed by this season and postpartum is just that beginning of motherhood that forevermore is part of our story and our journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, I like asking people because it's gone anywhere from like, I think it's about six weeks. Uh -huh. like, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it is not. It's not. Tell your doctor. That's the wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, thank you for doing this. Yeah, it was fun. Great. And then I got your headshot when we did the pre-interview. It's gorgeous. Perfect. I showed my husband. I was like, I want a photo shoot like this. I want flowers on my head. Did I was like, which one did I, I send? <laughs> no, I like can't go back and look at them because I want to be pregnant again. Oh, I never have that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel you. I do hear that a lot, but I'm like, I I look at my pregnant self and I'm just like, oh, bless you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, it was good to talk with you again. You, yeah, and have a good rest of your week. You too. Bye. Bye.